Hey, everybody. This is Jeff Schulman, and I want to thank you for being a part of the Product Management Center community. Together, we are building a more inclusive future. I'll be back to this podcast in just a few short weeks. And in the meantime, our associate director, Kara, is taking over hosting duties, making sure that all of you still have access to some of the best and brightest minds in product management. Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. All right, welcome to this week's episode of How to Succeed in Product Management. My name is Kara Fichtorn, and I'm the Associate Director at the Product Management Center at the University of Washington at the Foster School of Business. The Product Management Center is on a mission to empower diverse product leaders to drive success developing innovations that are inclusive to diverse audiences. And this podcast is one way for us to broaden access to information about product management, more specifically, how to succeed. Thank you for joining me this week. Also with me is going to be Red, and he will be helping to lead the Q&A section of the conversation today. I am so excited about our guest speaker. Our guest speaker spoke at our Inclusive Product Management Summit, and there was incredible feedback about how awesome the session went. And so I could not help but to reach out to Ranke Maja Kadomi. And I'm so excited to have Ranke here. Today, we're going to be talking about using design to drive conversations. And, you know, we'll, we will really kind of dive into that at a much deeper level. With that being said, I'm going to ask Ranke to introduce herself. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much, Kara, for having me and Red. It's such a pleasure to work with you again. Hi, everyone. I'm Ronki Madrigadumi, Director of Product at Promevo. Uh, most of my career, I've worked in fintech. I've helped to build B2B, B2C platforms and B2D platforms. And it is such a joy to be here. Uh, this is one of my favorite programs, and I'm always happy to, to do anything <laughs> for the product management program. So thank you for having me. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here. All right. So uh, let's dive in and start the conversation. So can you share some examples of successful product experiences that were driven by design and how they transformed customers' perceptions and behaviors? Absolutely. So let me just preface this by saying that I, my advice to every single PM, <laughs> doesn't matter, especially aspiring product managers, is you want to work closely with your design partner. And here's the reason why. Design can help us understand the end-to-end journey of what our what our customers are trying to do, whether it be consumer, whether it be B2B, you know, in the jobs to be done. So the formula that I use, that I've always used, is starting with my designer, explaining the problem, not solutioning, just the problem. Here is the pain point that the customer is having. So to give you an example, there was an organization that I worked at, and this is exactly what we did. So Tuesdays, my designer along with my content designer, for everybody on call, the content designer is the person who puts the content in a wireframe, we'll meet on Tuesday. And we would go after, go over my PRD. My PRD was a very high level PRD. We would go over it together. They would ask me questions. The reason why I like my content designer also being in the room is because he's coming from a different perspective. So he's going to be asking me a lot of detailed questions about the pinpoints. 
So they're going to go off after that meeting and they're going to come back with a wireframe the following week, along with some content in there. We're going to walk through it together to see if we're really solving that problem. Right. And then the next step, assuming everything is okay, we don't need to iterate on it. The next step is we're going to bring in our tech lead. Right. So our tech lead and my designer have a standing meeting every Thursday. So we go and we bring it up and we show it to our tech lead. Our tech lead is going to point out some things, things we might have missed, things that we should consider because of technical debt and on and on. Then we'll go back, iterate on that wireframe if we need to. But one of the things that my tech lead, my design lead, and myself are going to be discussing is, are there any unknowns, right? Are there anything we don't know? And if there is, then we're going to bring in a researcher. And we're going to go over that wireframe once again. But if you notice the wireframe is the one doing, that is helping us drive the conversation. We are looking at an actual wireframe and trying to envision how the customer is going to solve that problem, right? So all of a sudden, so if you notice, design is driving that conversation, right? Not just with my designer, not just with the researcher, but with the tech lead. So let's assume that we still have some unknowns. Then our researcher will help us to put a customer interview session together. And then we would, or even if we decide we don't need a customer interview session, we need a usability study, then we would do an actual prototype. So then we will put that design in front of a customer. Here's the beautiful thing that happens when you put a design in front of a customer experience. You transform that customer from the world that they are in into the world that they could be in, right? From the world that they are in where they're experiencing that problem to the new world that they could be. One of the things that happens, number one, it drives the conversation. The customer will tell you, no, 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 no. I wouldn't do it that way. Here's how I would do it. Or, oh, no, I use another tool to do that. All of a sudden, you find out a bunch of additional information. And those are just some examples of how I use design to drive conversations, to build products to, that will add value. Awesome. And thank you for the context there, Ronke. So in your experience, how does effective collaboration between product managers and UX, UI designers contribute to creating that compelling and innovative product experience? Oh, it is really important. So again, I'm going to give some examples here. So in large organizations, I have 10 additional teams that have a say in what I'm going to build, right? So I have what we call risk, the team risk. We have compliance, we have policy, we have legal, we have infosec. So all these teams need to see that experience. So that's why we let the design drive the conversation. So when we are ready and we're comfortable and we're, we've done the customer research and we're ready to go, one of the things we'll do is we'll schedule a meeting with all our partners. We have product management, product manager partners and all those teams. And we will schedule a meeting with them and walk them through the experience. And the reason why that's so important is because now it's a walking, it's a walking, talking prototype. It's literally like you click on this button, it will give you this message. You click on this, it will give you this message. It does these things. They can see it interacting. But what's also great about that is they now understand the customer pain point and what we're trying to solve. So that's another thing too. Then the other teams will come back to me and say, like the risk team may come back to me and say, okay, Ronky, you're building a bunch of new experiences experiences. And we need to make sure that we can confirm the user's identity here. So we're going to go update our API so that we can do some risk calls when the user gets on this page or if they're doing something that we think is 
sort of weird on this page. I mean, not weird, but uh, social engineering is what risk is usually trying to prevent. Compliance, if it's a global product, they're going to come back to me and tell me, okay, listen, in the UK, these are the rules that need to govern this. In France, these are the uh, rules that need to govern this, and they'll let me know if they need to update their API as well. And that's why that's really important. So now you see how that design is not only just gone from showing it to a customer, but using it to actually drive conversations internally within my own organization as well. And then, you know, because again, don't forget, all those teams also have their own KPIs and then I need to align them to my KPIs. And what helps in that conversation is the design. I hope I answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive in a little bit deeper and chat a little bit about storytelling and design-driven leadership. So how does that help to align stakeholders and inspiring the organization? That is a great question. So, okay. So remember, now I've gone in front of all my 10 cross-functional partners in a large organization and I've shared the experience. So in other organizations that I've worked at, we have a standing meeting on Tuesdays where we need to align with our leadership. It's going to give you some context behind that. On Tuesdays, around 9 a.m. in the morning, <laughs> it's me, my des- me, the product person, my design lead, and my tech lead. And we would need to go in front of our leaders, okay? So those are our direct, the people that we report to, and then externally extend that to the people that they report to. And we would need to kind of show what projects are coming up, right? And we would need to demo, we would need to show them what we're talking about, uh, what our project is and why we're doing it. So the way that we've structured that conversation, again, design is driving the conversation here. Because everybody, you have to remember, my bosses... And my boss's bosses are not in the platform like I am, right? So how do I tell the story? So what we do is I kick off the meeting and I talk about the core value of our of our organization because I kind of just level set because that's what that's what we, that's the reason why we all come to work every single day, right? Is that core value? Our core value aligns with our core value of our organization. Then I talk about how the love of our product, right, comes from that core value, which is why I start with that, and then I. Talk about the customer value, right? Well, why are we building this? What is the customer value and then the business value? But then what I do is I pass it on to my design lead. My design lead is going to then say, hi, I want you to meet Jane Doe. Jane Doe is an admin, and here's why she's logging into our system every single day. Here's the job that she's trying to accomplish. Here's what keeps her up at night, right? And here's what she's doing currently. So we show the current experience. Here's what she's doing. Here's what she's going to click on. Here's the pain that she's having right now, the pain point. And then we're going to say, okay, this is Jane Doe now in the new experience that we're building. And look at how we solve this problem. And then we walk them through it. And we do that for maybe three or four personas. But then we pass it to my tech lead. And then my tech lead will then talk about, okay, here's our MVP. Here's what we're going to go to market with. And sometimes if it's not an MVP, if it's just one thing, it could be minimum lovable. But here's how we're going to go. Here's what we're going to build. And then he, our tech lead is going to talk about whether or not he or she is going to be incurring technical debt to bring this product to market, to bring this feature to market, and what that would entail, and then how he or she is going to resolve that technical debt later. And then the last thing we do is we end it by talking about the metrics. How do we define that we're successful, that we solve this pain point? And sometimes for that one, especially in large organizations, I have data scientists that I work with. I also bring the data scientists into the room to help tell the story of those metrics as well and how we're going to measure ourselves. And that's how I do that storytelling and how I convey that storytelling to leadership. 
Thank you, Ronke. Could I just pause to ask you a quick question about how you became so good at storytelling? You know, I, I read your blog posts, I follow you on LinkedIn. I know that this is a, certainly a strength of yours. And I was just wondering if you could share a few thoughts on how to really strengthen that skill set for some of our listeners. All right. So I actually owe my storytelling skills to one male mentor. So my so a, a couple of years ago, I went to go work in an organization. Let me tell you, I was not great at storytelling. He was a designer. He was a design manager. And he taught me how to use storytelling to convey my customer's pain point to my cross-functional partners so that they'll care about it, to my leadership so that they will care about it. He basically taught me how to do that. And the way he taught me how to do that is through design. If you can show somebody something, you can align with them. If you can show them a wireframe, you will align with them. And if you can align with them, you're going to inspire them. So that's how he taught me how to use design. So till today, I really like design to drive every single conversation I'm having with my leadership, with my customers. I just do because pictures tell so many stories, right? And the other thing is you can throw numbers at people, right? They won't remember those. But you know what they'll remember? They will remember the pain point that your customer is having because they have empathy for them. And if they have empathy for them, well, then you can, you can meet them halfway to solve a problem. So that's actually how I got really good at storytelling is because of that design, ment- uh, design lead uh, that I worked with years ago, uh, still a great mentor of mine, but that's how it is. He taught me it was just to use design to drive that conversation. And one last thing I wanted to mention, Kara, there was also one more formula that I have under my sleeve that I use. Sometimes in large organizations, when you work with a bunch, with a lot of teams, they have their own roadmap. They just do. And they're busy, right? And sometimes it's really hard for you to get on their roadmap to, to fix, to build a part of your product, right? That you need to get out the door, part of a feature. Sometimes you will get pushback from your cross-functional partners. Like, no, 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 no. I, I don't understand this. You know, I have my own roadmap or whatever. So what I do, I bring that cross-functional partner into the room with the customer, So when I'm having a customer meeting, I bring that cross-functional partner into the room. And what that does, it does several things. One, it's not me anymore telling my cross-functional partner, hey, this customer has this pain point. They're in the room. And so they can ask questions. And also what's important about that is, everybody, the story travels. So now that cross-functional partner of mine is going to go talk to their boss. And and they're going to be able to convey to their boss what happened what that customer pinpoint is and why we need to amend our roadmap. But do you notice I'm not in the room? So the story travels. And that's the other thing that the design does, the prototype or if wireframe, whatever you have, it makes the story travel and you don't have to be in the room. And so all of a sudden you're galvanizing the whole entire organization around your product vision. I like that. I like that. So make the story travel. Awesome. So Can we hit on this maybe even a little bit more about some of the key challenges that product leaders might face when implementing design-driven leadership and and your thoughts on how they can overcome that? Absolutely. It's always a roadmap game, right? Especially in large organizations. Risk, the team risk has their own roadmap. Compliance has their own roadmap. So my advice, what I've always done is I try to influence from the get-go. You have to influence without authority, Right. And so I tried to influence from the get go. So at the beginning of every 
the beginning of the year, there's a kickoff meeting that we'll have with our cross-functional partners to talk about our roadmap and why our roadmap matters and tying it back to the mission and vision of our organization and talking about that customer pain point that we're trying to solve and bring and talking about the customer value and the business value. So I find that if you do a kickoff in the beginning of the year in January, then it's not news to your cross-functional partner in February or March when you come to them with an experience and they're like, oh, wait, I got to go you know, I got to update my API for you. But the other thing is align your KPI with your cross-functional partner's KPI. So I'll give you an example. Team risk. What is their KPIs? They want to prevent fraud in the system, right? So I'm going to work with them to prevent fraud in the system. I'm going to make sure that whatever it is I'm building, whatever new experience I'm building, that we can at least, you know, so for instance, I'll say to them, okay, listen, I know you, there are 10 screens I'm building. I know you want to update, you want to update the API for all 10 screens. How about we pick the most important ones right now? Let's update the API for those and then come back and do the rest. But you notice I am collaborating with them, right? Because I understand their KPIs and they understand my KPIs. So that's another route that I take. Great. Thank you. So you've talked a lot about, you know, the voice of the customer and and we know in product management how important that is. Can you chat a bit more about how you can ensure that the voice of the customer is effectively incorporated into the design process and how this can contribute to the success? Oh, absolutely. uh, Thank you for this question. I bring my design lead. So I believe in the three in a box model. For those on the call, three in a box model is product design and your tech lead you kind of move together. You make decisions together, right? You present together <laughs> to your leadership. When you're doing customer interviews, all three of you are in a room. So how do I do that? Make sure that that voice of the customer is always heard and that the customer is at the center of all the decisions that we're making and that we're not taking shortcuts. We all travel together. So therefore, my design lead, myself, and my tech lead, if there's a customer meeting, all three of us are in it. And here's why that's important. I'm wearing my product hat. I'm trying to understand the end-to-end journey, right, of the customer. My design lead is trying to understand how they're using the product. I'm from Nigeria, and I moved to the U.S. when I was 11 years old. There is still a cultural impact to how I use my iPhone, and only a designer would know that, right, versus somebody, my counterpart, who, you know, who wasn't born in Nigeria, who grew up in the U.S. There's just differences in how we use our product. The designer is look, will look for those things and they'll try to understand how the product is being used. My tech lead, it's important that they be in the room because they need to be able to ask questions. But also, I don't have to then try to get my the buy-in of my tech lead later on because guess what, everybody, they were in the room, right? So they can ask questions, so they can see the customer's pain point. The other thing I wanted to mention, on a side note, my designer has a manager that they report to. And they're going to have a one-on-one with that manager every week. My tech lead also has a manager that they report to, a director of engineering, and they're going to have a one-on-one with that person every week. I don't have to be in the room. The story travels. You see that? The story's traveling. I don't have to be in the room for the one-on-one, right? But that is how, is by making sure, even down to the, what we decide to build, whether it's we build a bunch of features in an MVP or better, or better yet, we decide on one feature, which is minimum lovable. Me, my design lead, my tech lead, I'm making that decision together. So, but the most important thing is they were in the room. I'm in the room, they're in the room, and we're making decisions together. Great. Awesome. 
So it, a few more uh, questions here as this conversation evolves. So how can product leaders leverage design-driven leadership to differentiate their products in a competitive market and also drive that customer loyalty? So remember I said I go everywhere with my box? <laughs> so, so we're going to reach out. So the first thing we do sometimes, when especially if there's, if we need to build a feature and first thing we do I schedule a meeting with the leads, with the with the sales lead, with whoever the lead is on the sales department. I schedule a meeting with them, and I bring my box with me. Why that's important? My sales lead is going to tell me which one of my competitors have that has that feature already, how much they are charging for it, because you know prospects, right? And he or she is going to tell me how I can differentiate my product from everybody else in the market, and what additional features I can add, right? Sometimes I might get lucky. And they might even have a copy of that product, of that competitor product, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing is in large organizations also, and some medium organizations, I have PMMs, product marketing managers that I work with. In the, product mar- in the marketing org, they have competitive analysis. That's the other thing I'm going to go look for, that my box and I are going to go look for, is to educate ourselves on the competitive analysis. The other thing is sometimes we may go back to sales and try to understand the customers that we won over without having that particular feature, why we won them over to understand the why, right? Why they came over anyway. Or if we lost a customer, I mean a prospect, why we lost that prospect because of that feature? Who else has it? So we sort of go on a fact-finding mission, but we always start with those groups, sales and then marketing for the competitive analysis. And we digest that information, my, th- my three in a box and I, and then that kind of informs a little bit of some of our decision-making. That we, as we go from there. Great. Thanks, Ronke. So where do you really see design-driven leadership evolving in the future, especially considering the rapid advancements in technology and changing customer expectations? So I always say this. It doesn't matter how great your product is. If the experience is not user-friendly or intuitive, you've lost, you've lost your customer, right? So in order to be product-led, which is what we all want to be, your experience needs to be seamless. It needs to be intuitive. There's the reason why Apple wins in the market, right? There are two things, right? Apple, the phone, right? It has utility and it has delight. Delight is the part that taps into my emotion, right? Why I want to keep using it because it has all these things. But the utility though is there. I can use it. It makes a phone call. I can send emails and all this other stuff, right? But Apple is great at what they do because of their experience. So think about the best products that you've used, that you continue to use, that tap into your emotion. Experience plays a huge part in it, right? And so to be product-led, we have to have a great intuitive and want an experience for our users to use. And also, customers don't, uh, you know, raw prospects don't want to talk to salespeople sometimes. They just want to go use the product. So the product has to be so easy to use that, they can just buy it also while they're there. And that's why design will continue to impact and is so important in what we do. And that's why I always tell every PM, aspiring product managers and new product managers, your best friend is your design partner. Go work with them. Don't solution. Bring them the problem. Let them solve the problem. But design, to me, will always play a pivotal part in product for years to come. It's not going anywhere because it's all about the experience. Awesome. So 
a lot of great tips there. And with that being said, and speaking of your sales team, I'm going to transition over to Q&A for everybody in the audience. Red is going to jump in. I'm jumping. I'm diving. Ronky, always great to have you on the show. Uh, and the enthusiasm is, is absolutely matching my own. Whether or not you believe it, I'm feeling it. So with that in mind, if you are as easily enthused by the topic of today's show, or you're someone who just has a general question you think Ronky can answer, this is your chance. This is your opportunity. Raise your hand. And I don't just mean physically. I mean digitally. Give yourself an opportunity to come up on stage. Just hover over your face. We see a hand raised and we pull you up. And if you're someone who's more shy, feel free to DM me. That's to send me a direct message right here on LinkedIn. And I will ask the question on your behalf. But don't worry, I will not cite your last name. I'll keep it fully anonymous. And if you want me to just come up with a nickname and not cite your first name, I'd like to go with animal names. So if you're feeling uh, like your spirit animal today, I will be happy to ask a question on your behalf. With that said, if you have a question, now's the time to ask it. We already have some up on stage. Morgan, with the incredibly blue background, for those who are listening on the podcast, we're here recording live on LinkedIn. And Morgan's background is just bringing peace of mind to my day. Morgan, the stage is yours, my friend. Thank you, Red. Thank you, Ronki. Thank you, Cara, for this conversation. The question that I have is, in an organization that is more B2B products that are being sold, particularly for enterprise customers, one of the challenges that PMs might face is an opportunity to connect with the end customer. And sometimes this is a cultural thing that is part of the organization. Other times it's um, sales teams being a little bit hesitant to open up those channels for the risk of losing that customer. How would you recommend PMs foster that relationship with the sales leaders so that those customer conversations can be had between the PMs, the sales, and the end customer so that we can build delightful products. It's a great question. Ronky, this one's to you. As much as I have a sales background, and you're, I'd love to get the PM perspective. Sure, no problem. So, Morgan, the secret to my success. Any new job I start, any new job, the first day, do you know who I buy coffee for? Who I go to meet before the end of my day <laughs> as a PM? The yeah. technical support lead. And here's the reason why. The technical support lead, their team talks to customers every single day, people that are actually paying for the product, existing clients. They will let me shadow and listen on a call so that I that will help me to gain empathy, right? The technical support lead will help me to understand onboarding and servicing problems that customers are having, that my existing customers are having. They will help me rank the top five or top 10 problems that they think and how I should address them. Like they will rank them for me. But the most powerful thing about getting to know your tech support lead, they will introduce you to power users, right? They know the power users by name. Some of them, they're on the first name name basis, right? They will introduce you to that power user, and then you can then turn around and set either form an advisory board, invite those power users, do a day in the life like I do, or focus groups, and now you have a relationship with those power users. That's one. Two, if your organization has a relationship management 
or client success teams, you need to partner with them because they are doing what I call QBRs, quarterly business reviews with customers every quarter. Or sometimes they'll just go visit that customers. You go with them, you tag along with them. That's another way that you're going to have access to that end user. So they're going to go to understand, hey, John, how are you doing? We haven't met in a while. So what's going on with you? That's their job. Relationship or client success managers, they're trying to make sure they always talk to customers. They're trying, they're existing customers. They're trying to make sure those customers aren't thinking about leaving and also like any other problems that they might be having so that they can surface it. You want to tag along on that conversation. Whenever they travel, you travel with them. If if it's around the block, you go with them. So that's two. Sales. Sales goes to visit prospects, right? Sales will have virtual meetings for prospects. I do what I call ride-alongs where I'm on the call, I keep quiet, and I hide myself like I don't, I'm not on camera. I just kind of stay off camera. And I listen to how sales is pitching my product. How are they selling it? What is that prospect saying? And that's how I, especially in a B2B, because I work in a B2B, but that is how I get to know customers. Partner with relationship manager, client success, but tech support lead is the person that you want to go bond with and have a relationship with and listen to calls. So. That's, that would be my advice. Great insight, Ronke. I've got a lot of coffees to buy, but this is gold. Thank you so much. Oh, one last thing. When you go to visit a customer, it doesn't hurt to bring cookies for the whole entire office. They'll love you for it, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, Ronke. Rock on. Great first question, Morgan. Uh, and Morgan, for context, what made you ask this question? Are you experiencing this today? Or is this something that you are new to and want to be thoughtful about how you approach it. Yeah. So when I joined my organization, one of the things that I had hoped to do was to create a customer advisory board. And I ran into the challenge of getting access to the customers. The team was engaging with customers in a bit of an ad hoc fashion where you might have one PM engage with a customer and another PM go and engage with the same customer asking the same questions. And so the sales organization was a little bit hesitant to bombard its customers with time requests when there wasn't something formal in place. And so I was running up a bit against that kind of resistance. So I was looking for ways to maybe restart that, but with fresh perspective. Almost as fresh as those cookies you'll be offering to everyone who comes to the room, as uh, Ronke pointed out. So (laughs) if I might add, Morgan, that's uh, there was an organization I worked at, and that's how I formed my advisory board. I went to the tech support lead, and I asked, I said, give me a list of customers. I told him what I was trying to do. And I said, give me a list of customers that you recommend. And he did. But what he did, he sent an email introducing me to those customers as the new PM that just started in their organization. And that's what opened the door for me. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Very helpful. And uh, one final piece to add here, Morgan, it's a cultural shift, right? If a company doesn't have a culture where everyone is talking to customers, I mean, top down, one thing that could be an agent of change is having the CEO or one of the leaders regularly show how they listen to their customers. And... Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, top down, this has to be something that uh, others perceive before they go, I should, I should be comfortable doing this too. Another quick way to drive change, mostly in smaller companies though. Yeah, that makes bringing some leaders along to support in that. 
Absolutely. Uh, and one final note for everyone listening out there, salespeople want to share a lead or someone to talk to if it means providing value to that person. So if you have, if you're a salesperson out there listening to this, this does not mean, ooh, let me get a PM on the horn to talk about our roadmap and maybe the buyer will buy. No, what it means is you have a very curious customer that wants to be a partner to our brand, wants to be a partner to us long-term. And there are product people willing to listen and talk to these people that will create a very strong relationship. So if you're someone out there listening who's in sales, it's a great perk, but not for every shopper, every buyer. And if you're a PM, it's a great way to sell it. Does anyone have any of these types of uh, ICPs on, who are willing to get on the horn? Because not everyone is a good fit for a customer interview, but that's a different day, different topic, different show. Okay, Morgan, thank you so much, not only for an incredibly deep blue background, but an incredibly deep and thoughtful question. We're going to move on to our next question on stage. Shivankar, hopefully I said the name correctly. I have to say, it's a pleasure to not only see one person raise hands, but in the middle of one question, another hand goes up. I'm curious, did Morgan get you to a place where you want to ask a similar question, or is there something brand new you want to bring to the stage? Whatever the case, we're excited to have you up here. The stage is yours. Hit unmute and enlighten us. Thank you so much, Red. Yeah, I just came into the tail end of this event and I read the title and it seemed like something that was perfectly what I would be interested in. I had a brand new question. How do you maintain the identity of either a product or a company throughout the project, throughout its life? I've worked as a writer and an editor and we would get clients who wanted us to handle their content. And I would like to think I'm very good at my job, but I would always have this thought that if I was running a company, I would not delegate it to a third party source or a third party company. I would want to be as hands-on as I can. But that is an amateur thought as a company grows. So I'm just curious, how do you maintain what the idea or the the identity you wanted for your brand and maintain it as you grow and kind of recognize the people that would help you maintain and construct that further. Thank you. Great question. Ronky, this one's to you. Curious to get your thoughts or if you have a clarifying question, feel free to ask. Yeah, actually I do. So basically I just want to understand. So like, um, so let's say for instance, a small company, a startup is coming to your organization to write content for them. But you are wanting to know, but so it's kind of hands off. Is that correct? They just kind of go, here's the subject, go write it. Is that correct? Yeah, well, uh, that was just an example. I'm just, uh, it's more of a general question is to like, for example, Adidas, Versace, Gucci, all of these have kind of a brand identity. How do they maintain that kind of identity throughout their various employees? And how do they kind of focus all of them to towards a specific kind of identity that they want to showcase either through their content or through their videos or their images, just kind of keeping everyone in the same line as to what the idea was from the start. So I'm not sure about those companies, but I can tell you what I do. What I do is in every single presentation, in every, whether it's my leadership, whether it's internal with my cross-functional partner, I always start with the core value of my organization. And the reason why I start with that is because that core value aligns with my values, which is why I work there, which is why we all work there. The reason why we all get up every single morning to work for our companies that we work for is because we align with their core value, right? So I'll give you an example. One of PayPal's core value is democratizing financial services. 
financial inclusion is something really important to me. So I couldn't wait to go work there, right? When I work there, because I get to build products and tools that will help provide financial inclusion for minority-owned companies, women-owned companies, and on and on and on, right? But that core value, right? And the reason why I start with that core value is because that's where the love of my product comes from, from me and my constructional partners. That's where that love comes from. We align with the core value, and therefore we want to build the best products because we want to make a difference in the world. So I always start with that. Another example I was going to give you is Google. What is Google's core value? Organizing the world's information. How did that manifest? So I'm going to give you an I'm going to tell you, I spent about three days with a couple of Googlers last year for my job. I guarantee you, one of them every day will say to me, well, of course, Rocky, we're organizing the world's information. <laughs> it's like, because their core value, because that core value of Google aligns with them personally. It was unprompted, but they were just mentioning to me as to some point throughout the day. But the reason why I mentioned Google is because if you think about 2020 and the pandemic, organizing the world's information, what did Google do? They partnered and they organized the world's information to give us information about COVID, right? Because think about it. The most searched words on Google in 2020 were, how do I heal? How do I heal? Google gave us information. Here's what's going on. Here's where you can find monoclonal antibodies near you. All you had to do was put your zip code. Fast forward to 2021, the most searched words on Google were vaccines near me. Again, remember, their core value is organizing the world's information. What did they do? They tell me other places near me, I can get my vaccine. They told me other different ones out there, right? And give me more information. 2022, beginning of 2022, the most searched words on Google were, are you ready? I'm anxious. I'm anxious. So what did Google do? They gave us information on why we might be anxious and therapists near us, psychologists near us, and all this other information. So they really, you see what I mean? How Google's core value really does tie to everything that they do. And I think that's super important because that's what that that core value is what's going to drive what you're building and what you're serving to the world. I hope I answered your question. Yes. Thank you so much, Ronke. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. So what I take from that is you kind of have to embody your own core values and then you'll kind of attract the people that want to work with you. But you have to be you know, true to yourself and then people will kind of gravitate to you and the right people will gravitate to you. Yeah, you get the employees that align with your core value and they'll take that core value and tie it into everything that they do. My metrics, my, the product that I'm building, the problems that I'm solving, all of it tie back to the core value of my organization, what I'm trying to do. Thank you so much. That was very helpful. Thank you so much. For two for two, folks, that's fantastic. Not only great questions, but wonderful answers. For everyone else out there listening in, this is an opportunity for you to ask questions. As we wait for more questions to come in, either by DMing me directly or raising your hand. And please note, it doesn't have to be related to the topic of today's show. If you have something that is, well, somewhat related, but is on track for inclusive product management, please, please, please ask away. I know a lot of you have questions on your mind, but to get on stage in front of people you don't know, I don't know. Interesting how today's topic, Ronky, was about being comfortable preparing what you need to convince management and leadership about your vision that requires getting on a different type of stage. This is nothing compared to that. 
So with that in mind, and in a very safe environment, we have another question up on stage. Thank you, Kara, for bringing her up. Hopefully I say your name correctly. Oluwatoyan, the stage is yours as a product designer. How can we help you? Unmute yourself and bring your question forward. Hi, everyone. Hi, Ronke. Hi, Kara. Hi, Red. Thank you so much for this opportunity. So I just wanted to like find out what are ways that designers, some designers have collaborated effectively with you as product manager? Like what ways the designers stand out to you that made sense in terms of collaboration and moving the product forward? Thank you, especially in a remote setting, please. Ronke, I... I'm going to bring this one to you as well. I love being the intermediary, but. <laughs> no worries. Oh, great question, by the way. So the best product, the best designers I've ever worked with. Here's what they did. Number one, they were curious. They were curious. And what I mean by that, the they didn't wait for me. They would literally say to me, okay, Ronky, I Googled this. I Googled that. And here's what's out there. Here's what I'm finding. Let's go talk to some people. Not only that they would come with me willingly to go talk to a cross-functional partner or a manager or anybody. They would ask for data. Transparency equals trust, which I really do believe. They would ask me, so as in general, as a product manager, this is something that I always do. I look through, I look at a sales pipeline every month. And if we lost a sale, I want to know why. So I'll ask the sales team and I'll take that information and package it. And then I'll go to the finance team and find out if we lost any customers this month, any existing customers that didn't renew with us. I would package that information and why, and I would share it with my designer and my tech lead and the rest of the Scrum team. Why am I doing that? I'm doing that because they need to understand why my roadmap might change. I'm doing that because I want to make sure they understand the other, the other aspect of the business, the business side. That information is important. Metrics. My designers, the best designers I've ever worked with, they all want to know that stuff because it, they need to understand well, why we're doing what we're doing. And the last thing I would just mention, there's one other thing that I love about the design, the best designers I've ever worked for. Not only were they curious, not only were they in the room with me, they could tell the story without me being in the room. They could easily tell you, this is the pain point that the customer is having. Here's how we're going to solve it. Here's the kind of revenue that we might bring in. Here's the customer value. They knew it just like I did. And that helps because, again, remember that story has to travel and I'm not in the room with their leadership. So they have to be able to do it. One last thing I'll mention to you. There was an organization that I worked at and every Thursday for two hour meeting, the designers did. So that particular organization designed research content designer all reported into that organization. And on Thursdays, every designer has to bring up and show what it is that they are building and why. So imagine in this room, my design lead is there, my content design lead is there, so is the researcher is there, and they're going to ask them. They're going to show what they're building that I'm working with them on, and they have to be able to explain it, explain the pain point, explain why we're solving it that way. They have to be able to explain, like if, if one of their managers or colleagues says, wait, why are you adding a button there? They have to be able to say, oh, glad you asked. We did usability study. We interviewed some, some customers. Here's what we discovered, and here's why the button is there. But and also, they have to know the metrics. How are we going to measure ourselves, our success, that we solve this correctly? And that the best designers I've ever worked for, those are the things that they did. Awesome. Thank you so much. Learned a lot. 
Wow. I have to say, three for three. This is a great sign. Tuesday is my favorite day because I don't know. It's not Monday, and most people like to make fun of Wednesday as hump day. So what does that leave in the middle? An unknown factor. And so today we're defining success as great questions. Olatoyan, hopefully uh, you know you find future help from the advice today. We have another question coming in from the audience. Please, Kara, let's bring Kaviar up on stage. Uh, folks, I can't believe this. This is happening. It's real. Oh, I think they dropped the benefits of a live show. Is uh, Well, nope, the hand's raised again. You know, if, if there's the all-star game going in Seattle right now. I feel like I'm announcing that. For most of us who might not be going to the show, hopefully you're getting your kicks from right now. So with that in mind, uh, we have another amazing question on stage. Now, this is uh, unnatural for us. Uh, historically, we're always bringing product manager titles and product leaders and, you know, UX I see an investor relations title here. Caveat, please, if you can not only ask your question, maybe provide a little context as far as your background regarding what the question is coming from, that would be great as well. So if you can unmute yourself, give us a little bit of flavor, and then ask your question, the stage is yours. Thanks, Red. Hi, hi, everyone. Uh, so yeah, you read it right. I come from a finance background, but I'm just looking to transition into product management role. So I have uh, one question on the similar line. So I was just thinking out loud, right, that when you're working um, as a product manager, you might have different, different interests coming from different teams. For instance, say UI UX team would say that I want to keep my product simple so that it is easy for the user, right? And then, of course, I can see my user base growing. While a finance leader might come and say that I want more of the features so that I can attract more users, monetize it better, right? Or even when you go to the consumer, he might say that I want everything in a single package. But then it's not necessary, right? That you will you'll get everything in the future. Are you talking about packing for a trip where you only have a bag that's a specific size? Because that's what it feels like. I'm just kidding. That's a great question, <laughs> but it is a true reality. There's only so much you can fit in your overhead luggage on your first round. Uh, Ronky, this is a, a pretty... Pretty good question. I'd be curious to get your take and how maybe today's topic could help in aiding in making that process easier. Oh, absolutely. So going back to that core value again, <laughs> there have been instances, by the way, where my design lead, my tech lead and I disagree on what an MVP should have or if we should just go in minimum lovable. That's fair, right? And that's normal. What we do is we go back to the core value. What are we trying to do, right? What are we trying to do? What is the pain point of that customer? Again, remember, we're trying to be product-led. We're trying to add value into the product. So we are going to drill down to that thing. If it's one or two or three, that's going to solve that customer's problem. That's what, our fo- that's what we shift our focus to. So yes, there are competing things. The finance may want us to track certain things, but we're going to focus on that immediate need of the customer. What's going to add value? Remember, well, if you're not solving your customer's problem, another another your competitor is. It is not hard to switch these days to another competitor. So you always have to ask yourself, what is it that I'm not doing that's not adding value? So. That's sort of where we focus. And what we do is we level set. What usually happens is we'll come back with a decision and say, okay, this is what we're going to go with. But we always, I always start again with that core value and then the customer pain point. What are we trying to do, right? And also 
that's also where usability comes in for us, testing comes in for us, so that we can make sure that we did build the right thing. And before we actually go build it, like execute on it. And we get that question, by the way, from our leadership when we present, they might say to us, why are you only doing this one thing? And we'll say, you know what? This is what we tested that worked, that customers are willing to pay for, and we're going to iterate on it. But first, we need to get this to the market. Also, one more thing I want to mention, you never want to put yourself in a situation where you're just building and building and building and building and building. Your competitors will get to the market before you do. It's okay to build one thing and iterate on it afterwards, but make sure you test it and that customers are willing to pay for it or they're willing to use it before you put it into the market, but you can always iterate on it. So that's sort of the route that we go is we're going to build that one thing or two things. We're going to get it out and then we're going to iterate on it, but it doesn't have to, we don't spend months building and building and building. And so all those other needs that finance is looking for, you can always, you can always come back and have those, but you want to get to market what's going to add value. I hope I answered your question. Yes, absolutely. I think you uh, made it sound pretty simple. I hope it's it's uh, the same way when I really enter the product management world as well. But I'll definitely remember uh, your words. Thanks a lot. Okay, that's fantastic. Folks, you heard it today on this amazing Tuesday, the best day of the week. We all agree. We didn't do a survey. I just decided that's the case. And why not? It's recorded on the live hairs, having been said. So with that in mind, Ronki, your question Q&A time is over. I'm going to pass things over to Kara to close us out with some final thoughts for the day. So again, thank you to everybody who asked questions today. And uh, Kavya, specifically for you, switching from a financial background into product management, that is why we're here, to make product management more accessible, more inclusive for all. So thank you for being brave and getting on stage and asking that question. Cheers to you. Back to you, Kara. Thank you, Red, and cheers to you. Great conversation. Thank you so much for being here, Ronke. And I always like to ask if you'd like to share some final thoughts with the audience before we close out for today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, everybody. I, like I said, I love this program, it's, and I'm happy to do anything uh, to help with the product management program. What I'll leave you with this is so simple. Be fearless. Be incredible fearless. We need you to build products for the next generation. The next generation is changing. They're diverse. They are changing every single day. Their needs are changing every single day. They're not going to come to us. We got to go to them to figure it out. But to build for every single community, be fearless. That's what I'm going to leave you with today. So thank you for having me. Amazing. You have definitely just made my Tuesday the best day of the week. So with that being said, everybody, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of How to Succeed in Product Management. We hope that you've uh, pulled some value from this conversation and that you are motivated to join us next week where we will be talking about leveraging user research from small to large organizations. All right. Have a good one and hope to see you next week.